This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have a speech from British Prime Minister Winston Churchill from April 27, 1941. Known as the Westward Look the Land is Bright speech, it was delivered over to the BBC 80 years ago today and was addressed to all the English-speaking people of the world. To understand the speech, it's important to be aware of the global situation at the time. It was a very dark time for the Allies in the war against the Axis. The United States had yet to enter the war, and fascism was on the march in Europe. With the arrival of spring, the Luftwaffe began stepping up its bombing attacks on England. In April, the German army, led by General Erwin Rommel, launched an African offensive, quickly gaining ground against the depleted British forces. The war in the Balkans was going poorly as well. On April 17th, Yugoslavia surrendered to the Nazis. On April 27th, the day the speech was delivered, German tanks rolled into the Greek capital of Athens. Only a few days later, more than 50,000 Allied troops would evacuate the country after a fighting retreat to the coasts in what was being called a second Dunkirk. Some 7,000 soldiers would be taken prisoner by the Axis forces before they could escape. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us continue to produce the podcast. And thanks to those of you who have already donated. So thanks for listening, and enjoy this episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was asked last week whether I was aware of some uneasiness which, it was said, existed in the country on account of the gravity, as it was described, of the war situation. So I thought it would be a good thing to go and see for myself what this uneasiness amounted to. And I went to some of our great cities and seaports which have been most heavily bombed and to some of the places where the poorest people have got it worst. I've come back to front, by which I mean the streets and wharves of London or Liverpool, Manchester, Cardiff, Swansea or Bristol. It's like going out of a hothouse onto the bridge of a fighting ship. It is a tonic which I should recommend any who are suffering and where the ordeal of the men, women and children has been most severe 
that I found their morale most high and splendid. Indeed, I felt encompassed by an exaltation of spirit in the mankind and its troubles above the level of material facts into that joyous serenity we think belongs to a better world than this. Of their kindness to me, I cannot speak because I've never thought it or dreamed of it and can never deserve it. I can only assure you that I and my colleagues, or comrades rather, for that is what they are, will toil with every scrap of life and strength according to the lights that are granted to us not to fail these people or be wholly unworthy of their faithful and generous regard. The British nation is stirred and moved and it never has been at any time in its long, eventful, famous history. And it is no hackneyed trope of speech to say that they mean to conquer or to die. What a triumph the life of these battered cities is over the worst that fire and bomb can do. What a vindication of the civilized and decent way of living we have been trying to work for and work towards in our island. What a proof of the virtues of free institutions. What a test of the quality of our local authorities and of customs and societies had been reserved for the soldiers and sailors are now shared for good or ill by the entire population. All are proud of being under the fire of the enemy. Old men, little children, the crippled, veterans of former wars, aged women, the ordinary hard-pressed citizen or subject of the king, as he likes to call himself, the sturdy workmen who swing the hammers or load the ships, the skillful craftsmen, the members of every kind of ARP service, are so are proud to feel that they stand in the line together with our fighting men when one of the greatest causes is being fought out, and fought out it will be to the end. This indeed is the grand heroic period of our history, and the light of glory shines on all. You may imagine how deeply I feel my own responsibility to all these people. I respond their sacrifices and exertions in vain. I have thought in this difficult period when so much fighting and so many critical and complicated maneuvers are going on, that it is above all things important that our policy and conduct should be upon the highest level and that honor should be our guide. Very few people realize how small were the forces with which General, whom we cheered in good days, and will back too bad. How small were the forces 
which took the bulk of the Italian masses in Libya prisoners. In none of his successive victories could General Wavell maintain in the desert or bring into action at one time more than two divisions or uh, about 30. A call was made upon us which we could not resist. Let me tell you about that call. You will remember how in November the Italian dictator fell upon the unoffending Greeks, hurled his armies back at the double quick. Meanwhile, Hitler, who had been creeping and worming his way steadily forward, doping and poisoning and pinioning one after the other, Hungary, Romania and Bulgaria, suddenly made it clear that he would come to the rescue of his fellow criminals. While nearly all the Greek troops were busy beating the Italians, the tremendous German military machine suddenly powered up on their other frontier. In their mortal peril, the Greeks turned to us for succor. Strained as were our resources, we could not say them nay. By solemn guarantee, given before the war, Great Britain had promised them her help. They declared they would fight for their native soil, even if neither of their neighbors made common cause with them, and even if we left them to their fate. But we could not do that. There are rules against that kind of thing and to break those rules would be fatal to the honor of the British Empire, without which we could neither hope nor deserve to win this hard war. Military defeat or miscalculation can be redeemed. The fortunes of war are fickle and changing, but an act of shame would deprive us of the respect which we now enjoy throughout the world, and thus would set a potent hold upon the sentiments of the people of the United States. Never, never in our long history have we been held in such admiration and regard across the Atlantic Ocean. In that great republic, now in much travail and stress of soul, which depend upon the destruction of Hitler and his foul gang and even fouler doctrines. But in the long run, believe me, for I know, the action of the United States will be dictated not by methodical calculations of profit and loss, but by moral sentiment and by that gleaming flash of resolve which lifts the hearts of men and nations and springs from the spiritual foundation of human life itself. We, for our part, were of course bound to hearken to the Greek appeal to the utmost limit of our strength. We put the case, we did. So an important part of the mobile portion of the army of the Nile were sent to Greece in fulfillment of our pledge. It happened 
that the divisions available and best suited to this task the mother country. I see the German propaganda is trying to make bad blood between us and Australia by making out that we have used them to do what we would not have asked of the British Army. I shall leave it to Australia to deal with that point. Let us see what has happened. We knew, of course, that the forces we could send to Greece would not uh, by themselves of Greece, would by our intervention be drawn to stand in the line together with her while time remains. How nearly that came off will be known someday. The tragedy of Yugoslavia has been that the immunity by submission to the Nazi will. Thus, when at last the people of Yugoslavia found out where they were being taken and rose in one spontaneous surge of revolt, they saved the soul and future of their country, but it went already to save its territory. They had no time to mobilize their and highly mechanized Han before they could even bring their armies into the field. Great disasters have occurred in the Balkans. Yugoslavia has been beaten down. Only in the mountains can she continue her resistance. The Greeks have been overwhelmed. Their victorious Albanian army has been cut off and forced to surrender. And it has been left to the Anzacs and their British comrades to fight their way back to the sea, leaving their mark on all who hindered them. To indulge a moment of lighter relief, I dare say you have read in the newspaper that by a special proclamation, the Italian dictator has congratulated the Italian army over the Greeks. Here, surely, is the world's record in the domain of the ridiculous and the contemptible. This stripped jostle state of Hitler's empire comes frisking up at the side of the German tiger with yelpings not only of appetite, that could be understood, but even of triumph. In different ways, but I am sure there are a great many millions in the British Empire and in the United States who will find a new object in life in making sure that when we come to the final reckoning, this absurd imposter shall be abandoned to public justice and universal scorn. While these grievous events were taking place in the Balkan Peninsula and in Greece, our forces in Libya have sustained a vexatious and damaging defeat. The Germans advanced sooner and in greater strength than we or our generals expected. The bulk of our armored troops, which had played such a decisive part in beating the Italians, had to be refitted, and the single armored brigade, which had been judged sufficient to hold the frontier, till about the middle of May, was worsted 
and its vehicles largely destroyed by a somewhat stronger German armored force. Our infantry, which did not exceed one division, we had to fall back upon the very large imperial armies that have been assembled and can be nourished and maintained in the fertile delta of the Nile. Tobruk, the fortress of Tobruk, which flanks any German advance on Egypt, we hold strongly. There we have repulsed many attacks, causing the enemy heavy losses and taking many prisoners. That is how the matter stands in Libya and on the Egyptian front. We must now expect the war in the Mediterranean, on the sea, in the desert, and above all in the air, to become very fierce, varied, and widespread. We have cleaned the Italians out of Saranaica, and it now lies with us to purge that province of the Germans. That will be a, a harder task, and we cannot expect to do it at once. You know I never try to make out that defeats are victory. I have never underrated the German anti-warrior. Indeed, I told you a month ago that the swift, unbroken course of victories which we had gained over the Italians could not possibly continue, and that misfortunes must be expected. There is only one thing certain about war, that it is full of disappointments and also full of mistakes. It remains to be seen, however, whether it is the Germans who have made the mistake in trampling down the Balkan states and in making a river of blood and hate between themselves and the Greek and Yugoslav peoples. It remains also to be seen whether they have made a mistake in their attempt to invade Egypt with the force of by experience. I make it a rule not to prophesy about battles which have yet to be fought out. This, however, I will venture to say, that I should be very sorry to see the tasks of the combat of personal opinion. I can well understand there may be different views. It is certain that fresh dangers which may spread eastward to Turkey and Russia. The Germans may lay their hands for a time upon the granaries of the Ukraine and the oil wells of the Caucasus. They may dominate the Black Sea. They may dominate the Caspian. Who can tell? We shall do our best to meet them and fight them wherever they go. But there is one thing which is certain. There is one thing which rises out of the vast welter, which is sure and solid, and which no one in his senses can mistake. Hitler cannot find safety from avenging justice in the East, in the Middle East, or in the Far East. In order to win this war, he must either conquer this island by invasion, or he must cut the ocean lifeline which joins us to the United States. Let us look into these alternatives. If you will, many people believed the Nazi boastings that the invasion of Britain was about to begin. Now, it has not begun yet. 
Andrews that now guard our island. When I compare the position of Tome as it is today with what it was in the summer of last year, even after making allowance for a much more elaborate mechanical preparation on the part of the enemy, I feel that we have very much to be thankful for. And I believe that provided our exertions and our vigilance are not relaxed, even for a moment, we may be confident that we shall give a very good account of ourselves. More than that, it would be boastful to say, if so many of our merchant ships are sunk, that we cannot bring in the food we need to nourish our brave people, what is the supplies of war materials and war weapons which the United States are seeking to send us in such enormous quantities should in large part be sunk on the way? In one of his raving outbursts, threatened us with a terrifying increase on our island, but thanks to his use of French and Norwegian harbors and thanks to the denial to us of the Irish bases fall upon our shipping far out into the Atlantic. We have taken and are taking all possible measures to meet this deadly Navy and Air Force by the hundreds of mine sweeping vessels which with their marvelous appliances keep our ports clear in spite of all the enemy can do by the men who build and repair our immense fleets of merchant ships, by the men who load and unload them, and need I say, by the officers and men of the merchant navy, who go out in all weathers and in the teeth of all dangers to fight for the life of their native land and for a cause they comprehend and serve. Still, when you think how easy it is to sink ships at sea, and how hard it is to build them and protect them. And when you remember that we have never less than 2,000 ships afloat, and three or 400 in the danger zone, when you think of the great armies we are maintaining and reinforcing in the East, and of the worldwide traffic we have to carry on, when you remember all this, can you wonder that it is the battle of the Atlantic which holds the first place in the thoughts of those upon whom rests the responsibility for procuring the victory. It was therefore with indescribable relief that I learned of the tremendous decisions lately taken by the President and people of the United States. The American fleet and flying boats have been ordered to patrol the wide waters of the Western Hemisphere and to warn the peaceful shipping of all nations outside the combat zone of the presence of lurking U-boats or raiding cruisers belonging to the two aggressor nations. We, British, will therefore be able to concentrate our protecting forces far more upon the routes nearer home and to take a far heavier toll of the U-boats there. I felt for some time that something like this was bound to happen. 
the President and Congress of the United States, having newly fortified themselves by contact with their electors, have solemnly pledged their aid to Britain in this war because they deem our cause just and because they know their own interests and safety would be endangered if we were destroyed. They are taxing themselves heavily. They have passed great legislation. They have turned a large part of their gigantic industry to making the munitions which we need. They've even given us or lent us valuable weapons of their own. I could not believe that they would allow the high purposes to which they have set themselves to be frustrated and the products of their skill and labor sunk to the bottom of the sea. U-boat warfare as conducted by Germany is entirely contrary to international agreements freely subscribed to by Germany only a few years ago. There is no effective blockade, but only a merciless murder and marauding over wide indiscriminate areas utterly beyond the control of the German sea power. When I said ten weeks ago, give us the tools and we will finish the job, I meant give them to us. Put them within our reach. It now seems the Americans are going to do. And that is why I feel a very strong conviction that though the battle of the Atlantic will be long and hard, and its issue is by no means yet determined, it has entered upon a more grim, but at the same time a far more favorable phase. When you come to think of it, the United States are very closely bound up with us now and have engaged themselves deeply in giving us moral, material, and within the limits I have mentioned, naval support. It is just worthwhile, therefore, taking a look on both sides of the ocean at the forces which are facing each other in this awful struggle from which there can be no drawing back. No prudent and far-seeing man can doubt that the eventual and total defeat of Hitler and Mussolini is certain in view of the respective declared resolves of the British and American democracy. There are less than 70 million malignant Huns, some of whom are curable and others killable, most of whom are already engaged in holding down Austrians, Czechs, Poles, and the many other ancient races they now bully and pillage. The peoples of the British Empire and of the United States number nearly 200 million in their homeland and in the British dominions alone. They possess the unchallengeable command of the oceans and will soon obtain decisive superiority in the air. They have more wealth, more technical resources, and they make more steel than the whole of the rest of the world put together. They are determined 
that the cause of freedom shall not be trampled down, nor the tide of world progress turned backwards by the criminal dictators. While, therefore, we naturally view with sorrow and anxiety much that is happening in Europe and in Africa and may happen in Asia, we must not lose our sense of proportion and thus become discouraged or alarmed. When we face with a steady eye the difficulties which lie before us, we may derive new confidence by remembering those we have already overcome. Nothing that is happening now is comparable in gravity with the dangers through which we passed last year. Nothing that can happen in the East is comparable with what is happening in the West. Last time I spoke to you, I quoted the lines of Longfellow, which President Roosevelt had written out for me in his own hand. I have some other lines, which are well known, but which seem apt and appropriate to our fortunes tonight. And I believe they will be so judged wherever the English language is spoken or the flag of freedom flies. For while the tired waves, vainly breaking, seem here no painful inch to gain, far back through creeks and inlets making, comes silent flooding in the main, and not by eastern windows only, when daylight comes, comes in the light, in front the sun climbs slow, how slowly, but westward, look, the land is bright. <laughs>